Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Wow, what a night last night. If you were a St. Louis Blues fan, last night was the night we've been waiting for for 52 years for the Blues to uh, win the Stanley Cup. I would guess um, there's some very tired and sleepy people in St. Louis or some people that just haven't gone to bed yet. Uh, The celebration will continue there for quite some time. What a night. Well, we have lots to talk about on our program today. We're going to talk about efforts to address the ag labor situation. We'll talk with Paul Blyberg with the National Milk Producers Federation. We're going to get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blades, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. And we're going to talk with the president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. Uh, he was uh, at the Iowa, uh, along with the President of the United States, talking about E15 and some other issues. So we'll look forward to talking with Kevin Ross a little bit later on. But right now, we look forward to talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. He was at that big event in Iowa this week as well. Brian, thanks for joining us. What was your takeaway from that day? Mike, it's always a pleasure to join you. And I'm guessing dozens of times you and I have talked about the need for E15 to be allowed to be used year-round for the regulatory red tape to be cut. And so it was great to be at Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy earlier this week um, when the president did a victory lap to uh, announce that that rule had, had come through and come through on time. So it was really gratifying. And to know that you have Kevin Ross coming up on your program, I think is fantastic because He was really the star of the show, I think, earlier this week, Mike, because he appropriately thanked the president for removing the the RVP barrier to E15. However, he had the courage to turn uh, and face him and and mention to the president that the small refinery exemption, the EPA mismanagement of the RFS, is causing a lot of problems in rural America, and, and that needs to be addressed as well. So... My hat's off to Kevin. Uh, he, he did a fantastic job. Well, we're still waiting to see. Is there going to be any uh, change in how they handle the uh, the waivers? What's your feeling? Did you pick up on anything there at that event? I did not pick up anything at the event earlier this week. One of the uh, guests at the uh, program was Administrator Wheeler, uh, EPA Administrator mm-hmm. Wheeler. And for him... To be able to see Kevin Ross turn to the president, uh, face him, and say, EPA is mismanaging this program when it comes to the RFS. We need you to intervene again on our behalf and address this. I'm hoping sent chills down the spine of Administrator Wheeler, because I would imagine any day now, Mike, we're going to get some news from EPA on how they intend to handle the 2018 uh, request uh, pending before the agency for those exemptions. So we wait to see what happens there. Meanwhile, as expected, uh, the legal battle starts up on the E15 rule. Oh, they sure do, and, and you're right. We anticipated this. Ultimately, the legal challenges from the refiners, and I expect others to be um, initiated, Mike, uh, come down to not an issue of whether EPA has the legal ability to extend, re- 
huge vapor pressure release to E15. Rather, it comes down to these companies not wanting to seed market share. This is about not wanting ethanol use to grow from 10% to 15% of the nation's gasoline use. And we feel really confident that EPA did uh, a great job in their legal analysis. I would go so far as to say I think their legal underpinnings are bulletproof. And unfortunately, we're going to have to go through the motions of these lawsuits, and, and that will take time. But I think that won't stop us from working with retailers who have been on the sidelines not offering this fuel to get them uh, back in the game. In the oil industry, sees if it goes, we go from 10 to 15 percent. I mean, they see what's hap- they could happen here. They see that that uh, percentage growing even more, right? And uh, that's why there's one of the reasons they're so uh, uh, resistant to it. Uh, they see that uh, you got a fuel out there that uh, has so many benefits and positives, and lowers the price of gasoline, gives motorists a, a better choice. They can see where this could go. They do. The, the refiners see the writing on the wall, and they know that American farmers and renewable fuel producers are not going to give up uh, at 15% market share. We have ambitious plans for uh, ethanol particularly to make up a, a growing share of gasoline use in the United States. You know this well, Mike. There's a lot of evidence out there, both scientific and anecdotal, that would suggest that 25 to 30 percent blends offer some substantial benefits in terms of fuel economy, uh, tailpipe emission reductions, and greenhouse gas reductions. And so, uh, we're we're marching forward. Um, you know, there are days we 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 do move forward, and there are days we take a few steps back when it comes to battling with the oil companies. But you're right; they are they're putting up a big fight now because they know that our ambition is to move um, beyond 15 percent in the future. And the event this week in Iowa, I mean, plenty of political overtones here to this. I mean, it's a, it was a campaign event for the president as well. And I think it was a much-needed positive for agriculture. We need some positive uh, uh, stories right now, and this was one. But I think, as you pointed out and as Kevin Ross pointed out, we'll talk with him about this later, uh, it's not 100% done yet. I mean, this was just part of uh, what needs to be done. The waiver issue and some other things need to be addressed. So uh, we got to we got to look at the whole picture, not just uh, the the part that looks good in a in a soundbite or in a on a in a photo opportunity. Really well said. I mean, amid the the trade concerns, the weather problems, especially in that part of the country, Mike. I mean, literally. Right around that ethanol plant, there was farm ground flooded in every direction. Um, the small refinery exemptions, we needed to uh, let out some steam and, and have a bit of a celebration. But the work begins, you know, right away because there's a lot of unfinished business for us to, to, uh, to work on, whether it's those refinery exemptions or it's the trade issues that we need to get turned around. Obviously, the weather uh, issues, you know, men can't do a lot about that, but I know the government is trying to help with some aid, but you, we've got a lot of work to do. You're correct. Brian, always good to talk with you, and uh, we'll look forward to hopefully some more positive news in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. And as we mentioned, 
A little later in the program, Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association, will join us. Uh, he was there at the podium uh, this week and uh, and uh, addressed that issue of needing to get those waivers uh, taken care of because of the uh, the harm, the damage it's doing to the RFS and the ethanol industry. And, and Kevin Ross brought that up directly to the president and to EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler. So uh, we'll talk with him about that a little bit later. Another huge issue in agriculture, the dairy industry in particular, the labor issue. We're going to talk about that next with Paul Bleiberg with the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a, a must-have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted. Now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The labor issue is a critical issue for all of agriculture and the dairy industry in particular. I want to focus in on an amendment that would address this issue and allow farm employers to use the H-2A visa program to hire foreign workers regardless of whether those employees are engaged in temporary or seasonal work. Here to talk about this amendment is Paul Bleiberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. Tell us more about this amendment and and how do you see it helping, uh, especially the dairy industry, when it comes to ag labor? Thanks again, Mike, for having me on, and uh, happy to give some background to get about this uh, amendment here. And, and I want to make it really clear right off the bat, the dairy industry is in a full-blown labor crisis when it comes to this issue. We do not have a program that we can use right now at all because the current H-2A Ag Visa program only allows seasonal workers. It does not allow for year-round agriculture like dairy to, uh, to participate. And as you know, dairy cows are milk 365 days a year. So it's absolutely essential for us for, to find any path forward that we can. The amendment that you just referenced that Congressman Henry Cuellar from Texas and Dan Newhouse from Washington added to an appropriations measure in the House this week gives us a, a temporary ability to use the H-2A visa program, at least for the 2020 fiscal year that the bill is written for. And so it's a helpful first step, but I want to make really clear and avoid there being any kind of misperception here. We, we still very much need a comprehensive solution to our labor challenges, and that's you know reforming the guest worker program for the long haul so that dairy can use it permanently, as well as providing a pathway to legal status for the current workers that we already have. And so this is a very important measure that we'd like to see enacted by Congress to give us have a foot in the door, and that's why we're so grateful to Mr. Newhouse and Mr. Cuellar for pushing this, and uh, we're going to be working with them to try to preserve it, but I, I don't want to have anybody confused. It, it's not a substitute for the permanent law that we need to um, that we need to have addressed. Explain for us why the current H-2A visa program is not working for uh, the dairy industry. Sure. So the H-2A visa program, again, only allows for workers to come in under the program on a seasonal basis. And dairy farmers don't hire workers on a seasonal basis. They hire workers on a more ongoing basis because dairy farming is a year-round business. And since you're milking the cows every day of the year, you know, you can't just have workers come in and leave after two or three months. That's not really the way operations work as far as getting folks on the farm and up to speed and things like that. So um, that's why the H-2A program with the seasonal construct really has never worked for us, and it's not something that we can access. So you know, whether it's reforming H-2A like this amendment does in a, in a temporary way at least, or making a new guest worker program that allows you know dairy workers and other year-round workers to to come in, uh, we need some kind of a change to that system. Now, you, as you said earlier, the dairy industry in a full-blown ag labor crisis. Explain that for people that that really don't understand or aren't aware of how this is impacting the dairy industry. Sure. Sure. Well, and you know, ag is the dairy and ag sector is not alone here, but uh, it's it's essential for people to understand. Uh, dairy farmers have made the best efforts possible to find domestic workers to do jobs on the farm, and we offer very competitive wages in the dairy industry. 
but there just there are not Americans that want to come and do a lot of these jobs, and that doesn't just apply to agriculture and dairy. It applies to construction. It applies to manufacturing. It applies to hospitality. There are a number of sectors of the economy for whom immigration reform is such a critical issue because it does deal with labor shortage, and uh, obviously that affects productivity and that affects the price of goods and affects the, the price of milk that farmers uh, are going to receive for their milk. And so it it has so many economic impacts, and that's why we really do refer to it as a crisis. Probably about half of all farm labor, roughly, give or take, I'm not sure the exact number, is uh, is immigrant labor and dairy farms. So this is a really central issue for us, and we need some certainty around the problem. And you touched on this, so I want to repeat it again, because so many people still say, oh, they're just, when foreign workers come into the U.S., they take uh, jobs away from uh, American workers. And as you said, we've seen this throughout agriculture, trying about everything you can think of to get these, uh, get people to take these jobs, higher wages, benefits, things like that, and they don't want to do them. They don't, they don't take those jobs. That's absolutely correct, and that's why it's so essential. We've been working on this for several years now, many years in Congress, to pass uh, immigration reform legislation, and, and the issue comes up all the time, and there's always an opportunity to debate it, but unfortunately, the politics around the immigration issue beyond the scope of agriculture are so contentious that it's difficult for anything to get done in contentious political environments. And so for us, again, we need to grab every possible bite of the apple that we can, even if it's only a temporary fix, but you know, a temporary fix is a foot in the door. That's to me has been one of the very frustrating things about this whole immigration issue. I know it's very complex; it's it's emotional, uh, but it seems like uh, the approach has been: if we can't fix everything, we're not going to fix anything. And there are some things like this issue, the ag labor issue, that can be addressed, and we can make progress on. I think you're absolutely right. I think everybody uh, largely does agree that this isn't an issue that can and should be fixed. I think the problem with the controversial issue is what, when you have a big issue like immigration and you have pieces of it like the ag labor issue that are more broadly supported, what, what it tends to happen in politics is even the easier fixes tend to get put aside and they try to roll everything together into the big bill so that members of Congress are more comfortable voting for the big bill because it's got some of the more widely supported stuff in it like an ag fix. And so even though this could get, you know, you could pass something on agriculture probably much sooner um, if you just negotiate it out. You know, the, even the, the more broadly supported issues tend to get balled up until there's a, an agreement on the bigger stuff. And that doesn't just go for immigration. That goes for anything. Right. We're talking to Paul Bleiberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. All right. So uh, we have this amendment. Uh, so what's it look like as far as getting anything actually done? Is it going to go anywhere? Sure. Sure. So the process from here really, uh, really it relates to what happens more broadly as it for government funding and things like that. So uh, to, to put this in context, the amendment we're talking about was included in the House of Representatives version of the uh, funding legislation for the Department of Homeland Security for the new fiscal year that starts on October 1st. So sometime this summer, the full House of Representatives is likely to pass this bill. And at the same time, the U.S. Senate will work on their own version of the bill. Later this fall, once the House and Senate and the White House reach kind of a broader agreement on how much money they're going to spend on each agency for the new fiscal year, that will enable Congress to kind of hash out their differences and negotiate a final product. In other words, the House bill and the Senate bill can kind of get merged and negotiated, and there'll be a compromise bill that gets sent to the president for his signature. And during that process, we'll be working with Congressman Newhouse and Congressman Cuellar and others to maintain this amendment in the bill, because it's in the House bill. And so we're going to want to make sure that it stays in the final bill. Uh, But, you know, again, this 
will be will be at the mercy of much more controversial stuff, right. not just anything in the immigration space, but really just the broader debate over government funding will be contentious between Republicans and Democrats as to they decide how much money they're going to spend on different areas. And this amendment doesn't deal with spending itself, obviously, but because it's included in that kind of bill, it's going to be subject to what gets decided uh, in these broader debates. And so our hope is we can get it included in the final bill, but we'll be working to do that. As we see with so many things, uh, when you have a legislation, even with bipartisan support, which is hard to come by, but you've got you've got it here. Uh, any any uh, individual piece of legislation doesn't seem to always come down to the merits of that piece of legislation. It's kind of held captive uh, by other issues surrounding it that uh, will determine whether or not that individual piece of legislation ever makes its way through. That's exactly right, and because Congress moves so few pieces of legislation a year, most of what they do move tends to be very large bills that include a lot of smaller pieces. So we may be a bipartisan or non-controversial smaller piece, but if things on the large bill fall apart or they take out big sections of it for one broader political reason or another, you know, you can be at the mercy of that, and there's really nothing you could have done to change that outcome, which is one of the more frustrating aspects of the legislative process, trying to work within it, but it's something that we know is a factor, so we try to build it in ahead of time, and that really just comes down to building as much support as we possibly can. Yeah. I, I, to me, that is one of the big frustrations of of our system right now. Is that uh, there's so many things that could get done that don't because they're cut up in in bigger issues. And as I said, uh, for because they can't solve everything, they don't seem to get anything done. And I, I really find that frustrating. All right, Paul, thank you uh, for bringing that to our attention. I mean, we talk a lot about ag labor in agriculture, but I think a lot of people still don't understand how it not only impacts farmers, but it impacts everyone when it comes to our ability to to produce and supply our food. Thanks again for the opportunity to have me on. We'll look forward to staying in touch on this, and we'll be doing what we can to get this across the finish line. I hope we have some good news on it, Paul. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Mike. Paul Bleiberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. As he said, the U.S. dairy industry in a full-blown ag labor crisis. All right. Coming up next, President-elect of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. He uh, spoke at that event in Iowa this week uh, along with President Trump. And he, uh, while thanking the president for getting that rule through to allow e15 sales year-round he also uh, challenged the president to address this waiver issue when it comes to the rfs we'll talk with kevin ross about that coming up next here on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. 
So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector continues to rally while we lose ground for livestock at the Merck. Today marking the fourth week in a row that export sales of U.S. pork to China have been reported by USDA in its weekly export sales report. But just barely, China buying 2,400 metric tons for the week. In the past three weeks, sales of pork to global customers have tapered off. Following the release of the export sales data this morning, USDA following up with another announcement that Mexico has bought 175,000 metric tons of corn from the U.S. Corn sales for both the 2018-19 and 2019-20 marketing year totaling 262,600 metric tons, better than last week's number. Technically, corn needs to post a new contract high close today if the current uptrend is to be extended. July corn in early trade, punching through resistance at 438, the May 29th high, an hour into the trading day. July corn up 11 and a half at 441 and a quarter. December 455 and a quarter, up six and three quarters. July soybeans up seven and a half at 885 and a half. November 912 and a half, up seven and a quarter. Chicago wheat July up six at 532 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat July up three at 567 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat July up six at 468 and three quarters. Lean hogs July down 80 at 83.57. June live cattle down 82 at 108.85. Feeder cattle August contract down $2.20. 135.65. The Dow up 53, NASDAQ up 27, S&P up 8, crude up a buck 83. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. The Economic Research Service and the National Institute for Food and Agriculture. We'll be talking more about that on tomorrow's program. 
Well, it was a big event this week in Iowa with the president on hand and uh, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler as well, of course, to talk about the E15 rule that allows E15 sales year-round nationwide. And one of the uh, speakers at that event was Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association. He joins us now. Kevin, earlier in our program today, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, said you were the star of the show or one of the stars of the show this week in southwest Iowa. Uh, What was it like to be up at the podium and uh, talking with the president of the United States? Hey, Mike. Yeah, that's... um... It was kind of a surreal experience for sure. You uh, uh, have a chance to stand behind a podium with the presidential seal sitting on, on the front of it. That uh, that was certainly an experience of a lifetime. So um, just just hope uh, you know hope I represented uh, agriculture and all of our farmers well, and um, you know had a chance to, to get a couple points across as well as certainly thank them for uh, doing the E fifteen rule and getting it done on time like they said. Well, you represented the corn growers and agriculture very, very well, and you did indeed make the point that so many are, are making in the uh, in the ethanol industry now, and you got the chance to make it directly to the president, that while this was a good first step in allowing E15 sales year-round, uh, the other step that needs to be taken is to address this waiver issue uh, with the RFS. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, in, in that uh, in that setting, um, you know, I had to deliver that message. That's a that's something that's killing the ethanol and biodiesel industry. Those waivers are absolutely uh, uh, just a just an unnecessary burden that's being placed on agriculture. And you know, and as I said uh, in my speech, that you know, it's really I, I think holding back a farm economy that that you know should be rolling on all cylinders. And and we've had you know issues with trade and other things and. Some of these issues we can't control, like the, you know, like the hogs in China that are you know, that you know with the disease issues there. But but there are other issues that we certainly can, and this is one that, um, you know, this administration needs to weigh in on, and we need to make sure that uh, uh, the RFS is being held up in, in you know in its uh, in its intended form. So they um, we delivered that message, and uh, Andrew Wheeler was there to hear it. Uh, Secretary Purdue was there as well, and uh, the president certainly heard it too. So. Um, hopefully they listen and we get uh, get some results. Yeah, yeah. You delivered the message uh, directly to the people that needed to hear it. How do you think it was received? You know, I think it was received well. Um, but uh, uh, you know, there was there was certainly some undoing that has to has to get done after the last administrator of that EPA. And, and uh, uh, I hate to even say his name um, with what he did to us there. So. Uh, you know, I think I think we're gaining um, certainly with Mr. Wheeler in attendance. That I think is a good sign that they want to listen to these industries. They want to hear, um, you know, how we can can move forward and, and continue to promote biofuels. So, to me, that was a, a just a very good sign to even have him there. So, um, you know, look forward to having these conversations and, and working with them and making sure we can can get these problems fixed. Talking with Kevin Ross, president-elect of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, uh, as you were there at the podium with the president of the United States right there alongside, uh, it was also a chance for you to talk about uh, your feelings as as a farmer and uh, the issues that you and other farmers are dealing with right now. 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, we had a chance. He, he actually went back and unloaded some corn with uh, a neighbor of mine. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about trade back there, and, and uh, he mentioned that in the speech. Um, I had a chance to, you know, hit on infrastructure, too. I know that's something that uh, we've all heard uh, the president talk about as one of his, you know, one of his priorities, wanting to get an infrastructure bill done. We hear it from Congress as well that, that they realize that's an issue. Um, so that's something that I definitely wanted to talk about there, and, and certainly in the area that I live in and, and a lot of my neighbors that farm on Missouri River bottom ground, that's, uh, you know, it's been an extreme issue and a terrible, terribly tough spring for a lot of those folks, but not just them. I mean, these issues that uh, uh, that we've had this year, they you know, they spread out to a lot of other states, and, and uh, including my neighboring state of Nebraska. They had, you know, horrendous issues this year, too, with the, the ice and and uh, you know the, the huge snow melt that happened in such a short time. So I tell you, it was infrastructure something that I thought we really needed to touch on in that one too, uh, in that setting, and, and really give a push for that as well. So I think in ag we recognize that's something that we got to work on. You know, locks and dams have been a big part of that for national corn, corn for a long time, but right now it's a lot of other pieces too. And I'm guessing trade instead of aid, uh, in some way or another, was part of the conversation as well. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> the, the trade discussion, we all know in agriculture that uh, trade is good for us. I mean, it's flat out. Uh, we produce more more than we can consume here, and we need products to move. But, uh, um, you know, they're, they're certainly uh, in this with the long term. They said that, you know, that they, uh, they're they doing their best to try to get markets opened up. But we got to get USMCA passed. You know, that part is done. That's out of the president's hands at the moment. That's in in Congress, we need to get that thing done uh, and move forward, and uh, you know, so we can get the, the next agreements done too. So uh, let's, you know, we gotta we gotta look at these things in a in a broad brush right now, and, and understand that yes, trade is important on all fronts, but but also look at the uh, small things in, in each agreement that we're trying to work through, and um, you know, move move one at a time, but we gotta get moving on a few of them for sure. Well, Kevin, we know, obviously, we're in an election cycle, presidential election coming up, and uh, a lot of presidential candidates have been uh, spending time in Iowa, and that means they're they're talking ethanol and uh, touring ethanol plants and things like that. You wonder sometimes if, if that sticks or connects or are they just going through the motions, but at least you have the opportunity, and you had a great one this week, uh, to talk with uh, the key people and let them see uh, what goes on at an ethanol plant and how important it is uh, for a rural uh, community, a rural economy, and our nation's economy. Yeah, no question. So these, these opportunities, and we get a lot of them here in Iowa with candidates rolling through here in the next few years, and that's one of the beauties of the you know, of, uh, of our current election process, that uh, it brings people into our state. And, you know, we have a chance to highlight what agriculture does for a lot of the Midwest and a lot of people that, you know, that rely on that for the broader economy of their state. So um, a lot of folks are coming through. Uh, we're going to work with NCGA and, and, uh, and others to try to make sure they understand that, you know, that benefit that biofuels plays, as well as just agriculture and, and you know, coming along with, uh, you know, with all the animal agriculture things that we do here in our state, too, and many others. Um, there will be folks going to all these places. So we're going we're gonna to do our best to educate and, uh, and also, you know, promote our products and make sure they understand how valuable it is. So I can't wait for the opportunity to see these other candidates as well, and, and uh, we're going to work hard for it. Well, I guess we find out, right, when uh... – 
we see what happens moving forward with these waivers, whether or not they're going to change their uh, policy of, of handling them or not. We will know soon, I'm sure. You know, like I said, they they got to undo some things, but um, we got to make sure that we're pushing hard on that. The, the waivers are the waivers are a one. You know, the, the most important thing that I think we can do to to help our uh, our own interests when it comes to biofuels. But uh, they flat out are uh, are an issue and a problem that they uh, need to stop stop in and out. So um, RFS integrity and and uh, intent is what we need to be upholding here. So. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to making sure that we've got that, um, you know, continue to push on those different issues. So, uh, had the opportunity to do it here, and it was fantastic. I know you've been busy in in board meetings. Uh, I'm guessing you. We've probably just discussed uh, your uh, your list of priorities, right, for NCGA for this coming year. We've just we've talked about them when it comes to E15 waivers, uh, infrastructure, trade. Uh, these would be at the top of your list. I tell you what, you hit them right spot on, Mike. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, trade and ethanol and, and uh, all those, you know, infrastructure for sure. But, but uh, you know, trade policies are, are tops as well as, you know, ethanol, and, and that specifically is the waivers. So um, those three are the main things we're working on right now, but we're always working on a myriad of issues. And, um, you know, there's just a ton of different things that go on within your state associations and NCGA and, you know, um, it's good to have people out there and staff out there working for the farmer every day. So uh, there's, you know, we all got our own operations, and that's why we have these, uh, you know, these organizations that help us through that. So you got to have people out there working for you because it's 24-hour challenges, that's for sure. Tell us about your operation. How did planting go? How do things look? Uh, you know, things are uh, done finally for me. Uh, we got done planting beans last Saturday here. Um, but uh, corn was only done Monday, so uh, we were a little late on finalizing the corn acres for us. But uh, uh, you know, small windows is just flat out. We didn't have a lot of a lot of good windows to get in there, and you know, conditions were not ideal in a lot of cases. So um, things look pretty good though overall, and, and happy to say we're done. And, and uh, certainly, um, you know, heart goes out to a lot of folks that are not, and as well as. Uh, uh, folks that have, you know, had issues with prevent plan, things like that. Just a tough year in general, but uh, certainly understand those issues, and, and we all as farmers, I think, understand it's going to, you know, going to hit us every once in a while, but uh, widespread issues this year, and that's, that's awful tough. Well, Kevin, thanks for being with us. A lot of us would like uh, the opportunity to tell the president, uh, uh, you know, directly, about, you know, whatever the issue is, we'd like to express our feelings to the president. You got to do that this week. So congratulations for doing such a great job and uh, representing uh, corn growers and agriculture so well. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. My privilege. Take care. Kevin Ross, president-elect, National Corn Growers Association. Up next, we'll get the latest numbers on ag equipment sales. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. 
Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. 
First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue to keep uh, close watch on the ag equipment sales numbers. We've been doing this for over a year now. And joining us again uh, today to give us the latest numbers is Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President for Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, good to talk with you again. Uh, what do the latest numbers tell us? Well, Mike, thanks, thanks for having me once again. Uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think as we continue to have the same story you know, over and over again when we talk every month is that uh, we are in the middle of a, of a replacement market, and then despite some of these storm clouds uh, in the ag economy, the equipment numbers are still holding, holding their own, at least in terms of, uh, in terms of new and used sales, for, uh, at least for the month of May so far. And then now we've talked a lot about the trade issues for the last year or so. Now this year we uh, we add to it uh, the weather challenges. I'll tell you what, that is uh, again our heart goes out to those uh, farmers that have not been able to get their uh, get their crops in the field and just you know you know combine that with the delayed harvest that they were dealing with or or lingering flooding issues or even in in, in the worst case scenarios land not even being able to get into production because of because it's still underwater, our heart goes out to those folks. But it's a it's a tough time out there in in rural America, and we we know that as manufacturers, and our hearts goes out to those folks. Well, break down the numbers for us. Uh, what's up? What's down? Well, in uh, in May, we saw we continue to see some nice numbers for uh, for under under forty horsepower tractors. Is is uh, as we've been saying, that's been about ten percent up year over year. Uh, for about a year and a half now, so those are those are some nice numbers, and that represents a lot of volume. That uh, that also represents uh, not just the ag market, but uh, but you know folks that are just looking to looking to buy some horsepower. The 40 to 100 horsepower tractors uh, saw some slight increases, uh, you know, May uh, month over month, and 100 100 plus horsepower uh, two wheel drives saw a nice increase. And those are utility tractors that are, you know, where, where, a, where a farmer may be looking to just, you know, replace uh, or add some additional horsepower uh, to maybe to deal with that, to deal with the water. We saw a little bit of a decrease in the combines for May, but that, uh, but that you couple that with the, uh, with the year-over-year self-propelled combine sales, we're still up about 12% uh, in, that, in that particular market. And I think what our members are telling us is the combines have been uh, – you know, it's, a, it's been a nice market, but largely because there's some some pretty new new technology, neat new technology that farmers have been taking advantage of. And then finally, uh, the articulated four-wheel drives continue to sort of outperform 
the expectations, considering uh, where that is in uh, you know in the, in the price point as well as the the, the 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 market that it serves, is that we're seeing you know year over year about 22 percent up on articulated four-wheel drive tractors. So that's a that's a those are some nice numbers to report. And I'm sure some people are thinking, um, how can this be? How can these numbers show any increase uh, with the, all the challenges uh, we've discussed? Well, there's two things that I can point to, um, or three things, actually. Number one, as we mentioned before, the under-40-horsepower under tractor represents a lot of non-farmers and is a pretty good indication of the overall economy. You know, number two is this replacement market where, you know, at some point it's just time for uh, for a piece of equipment to get replaced. And especially when you've got a weather situation that is that is putting more pressure on the time, I think farmers recognize that, hey, you know what, this, this machine, we've got to have the uptime. And so maybe it is just simply time to make an investment or upgrade the equipment so they can, so they can have more reliability of the uptime. But the third thing, and this is sort of a new piece that I want to enter into the conversation, is that on the articulated four-wheel drive tractor, what our, what our members are, are starting to tell us is that that's actually representing a lot of non-farm use as well. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of road construction companies and a lot of other earth-moving companies are buying some of those articulated four-wheel drive to, to service some of their construction needs. So that's, that's providing a little bit of a buoy for those, uh, for those numbers that, you know, we normally would consider that to be a, a solely an ag market, and the big ag market is actually also representative of some construction numbers in there as well. So as we've been saying, uh, we'll see where this goes because many of these challenges we've been talking about are, are certainly going to continue for a while, it looks like. I'll tell you what, those, uh, those storm clouds over the industry just uh, are, are interesting. I mean, you, you see every, every barometer that comes out, every indication that comes out is like the farmers are, are concerned. And I think we, we are in some critical times that if, if, uh, you know, if the trade stuff doesn't get worked out correctly or if weather challenges continue to be a problem, I think there's, there's going to be some, uh, some, some lasting effects on the ag industry that, you know, for years to come. So, you know, I want to have, a, have an appropriately sober, uh, sober commentary there. But I also know that, you know, farmers are optimists. So you don't put a seed in the ground uh, uh, without a little bit of faith that it's going to grow and that you're going to have a good market for it to go to. And I think that, uh, you know, you know, there's always a bright light on the horizon that some of this, some of these trade issues are going to work out, get worked out. I mean, I know since we talked last, we had uh, you know the year-round sell uh, approval of E15 that increases some demand for corn. These are all good things that point to where the ag economy, you know, has got some bright spots, but certainly there are some storm storm clouds on the horizon. All right, Kurt. Thanks for the update, and we'll talk again next month. Okay. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers with the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Well, as I mentioned earlier, USDA has picked Kansas City for the new location for uh, those two research agencies, uh, ERS and uh, NIFA, NIFA, and uh, Secretary Purdue saying that Kansas City helps us move closer to our stakeholders and redirects taxpayer savings into funding for research of critical needs like rural prosperity and agricultural competitiveness. But uh, it's a very controversial move, as we've been telling you, and uh, there'll be a lot of reaction to this, and we'll have more on it coming up on tomorrow's program. Also tomorrow, we uh, want to get more into the disaster aid package that passed Congress and the president signed. What's in it? Uh, 
what areas will it help the most and what about getting it to the, that aid to the people that need it the most we'll get uh, some details on that as well so with that we'll wrap it up for today thank you very much for joining us and letting us be part of your day i hope you'll tune in again tomorrow right here aoa adams on agriculture have a great day everyone Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327.